Explained death. 
costs, possible abduction, and starvation. So, if you think that any of this might cause you to have a negative emotional reaction, then you might want to skip this episode, because I don't want anybody to get upset. However, in any event, I do not recommend this episode for children. So, if any little ones are listening nearby, well, it might be a good idea to turn this podcast off until later, or perhaps to put on your earbuds or headphones. Parental discretion is strongly advised. And now, with all of that having been said, we will move on to our featured story. On February 2nd, 1959, a group of nine hikers were camping during a ski trip on a mountain in northern Russia when something happened during the night which led to them running away from the place where they had been sleeping. Unfortunately, no one has ever been able to determine what exactly they were trying to escape from. The area in which the incident took place was named Dietlov Pass in honor of the group's leader, Igor Dietlov. Almost 20 years later, a similar event occurred in the United States. I am now going to tell you that story. On February 24th, 1978, a group of five friends from Yuba City in the state of California went on a road trip to watch a basketball game. They left after it was over. Then, for some unknown reason, drove up the side of the mountain and into the wilderness. They were never seen again. The names of these men were Gary Matthews, Jack Madruga, Ted Wire, Jackie Hewitt, and William Sterling. Their ages were between 24 and 32. They had developmental disabilities of one kind or another, but none of them had issues that were severe. They all knew how to function in the everyday world. However, they were all enrolled in a daytime program for mentally handicapped adults. Gary had schizophrenia, but was on medication to control his symptoms. Jack had a low IQ, but hadn't been diagnosed as mentally disabled. Both men had driver's licenses and had successfully served in the U.S. Army. Ted Wire was employed for a while at a snack bar 
he had trouble understanding the precise steps of how to make a telephone call. So Ted would make the call, then they hand the phone to Jackie when it started to ring. Jack Madruga was a high school graduate and army veteran. He had been laid off from his job as a busboy in November 1977. William Sterling was a friend of Madruga, perhaps his best friend. Sterling was a deeply committed Christian who spent much of his free time in the library reading articles containing suggestions of practical methods of how to bring the message of Jesus to patients in mental hospitals. Gary Matthews was an assistant in his stepfather's gardening business and an army veteran with a psychiatric discharge after drug problems that developed in Germany five years before. Matthias was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but the condition was kept under control with medication prescribed by his doctor. According to police records, he had been charged with assault twice following his return from Germany. These incidents occurred on occasions when he failed to take his medication and lapsed into a disoriented psychosis that landed him in a Veterans Administration hospital. According to his stepfather, quote, Gary just went haywire, unquote. However, no other similar incidents are known to have occurred. On Friday, February 24th, the five men drove about 50 miles north from Cuba to Chico, California to attend a college basketball game. When the game ended at the California State University at around 10 p.m., they stopped three blocks away at a convenience store, annoying the clerk who was trying to close up. They popped one hostess cherry pie, one Langendorf lemon pie, one Snickers bar, one Marathon bar, two Pepsis, and a quart and a half of milk. The next day, when they failed to return from Chico, their families became concerned and called the police. They were supposed to play a basketball game of their own on February 25th as part of a tournament with a free week in Los Angeles if they won. Their clothes had been laid out the evening of February 24th before they left for Chico. Wire had asked his mother to wash his 
February 28th, a forest ranger found Jack Madruga's car abandoned at an unpaved road near Oroville at an elevation of 4,500 feet or 1,372 meters. The turquoise and white 1969 Mercury Montego was located around a two-and-a-half-hour drive from Chico in the opposite direction from the route they would have been expected to drive home and way up in the mountains in the Plumas National Forest. Police found no evidence of foul play at the site of the car. However, the car was unlocked, one window was down, and the keys were nowhere to be seen. Candy wrappers, milk cartons, and basketball programs were in the car, but maps were left in the glove compartment. There was no obvious damage to the car, despite the bumpy road. It had around a quarter tank of gas, and it was not stuck in the snow. The driver had either used astonishing care and precision, the investigators figured, or else he knew the road well enough to anticipate every rut and chuckle. Forest rangers searched the area for five days, and found no trace of the men. But, almost as soon as the search began, a severe blizzard moved into the area, covering any tracks. Around nine inches of snow had dropped on the upper mountain. Searchers risked their lives, struggling in the snow. A man named Joseph Shans contacted the police after he heard about the disappearance. He said he had seen the men between 11 and 12 p.m. on the Friday that the group disappeared. He was driving up the gravel road to his cabin when his car became stuck in the snow, and, unfortunately, while trying to push his car out, he suffered a mild heart attack. He saw two sets of headlights coming up behind him at about 11.30 p.m. One was a car and the other a pickup truck. He had enough strength to get out of his car to flag them down. The two cars stopped about 20 feet from him and began randomly looking around with flashlights. The passengers then left together in one car. Joseph spent the rest of the night in his car before walking back down the mountain in the morning. He didn't think much about what he'd seen until he heard about the disappearances. A woman reported seeing the five men in a red pickup truck on Saturday and Sunday, about an hour's drive from the site of their abandoned car. 
are there where two of the men came in to buy food. One of them made a phone call from a nearby phone booth, and the other two stayed in the truck. There was no further news until the spring snows melted on the mountains. In June 1978, a man riding his motorcycle through the area noticed a broken window on a Forest Service trailer. The trailer was located about 19 miles up the mountain from where the car was found. A Forest Service snowcat ran up the road to the trailer on February 23rd, leaving a packed path in the snow that the men might have followed. Inside the trailer, he found the dead body of dead wire. Search and rescue teams then began combing the area near the trailer. The day after wire's body was discovered, searchers found the remains of Madruga and Starling. They lay on opposite sides of the road to the trailer, about 12 miles or 19 kilometers from the car. Madruga had been partially eaten by animals and had been dragged a few feet to a stream. He lay face up, his right hand curled around his watch. Sterling was in a wooded area, scattered over about fifty feet. There was nothing left of him but bones. Two days later, just off the same road, but much closer to the trailer, Jackie Hood's father found his son's backbone, along with a pair of Levi's and his ripple-soled shoes. A deputy sheriff from Plumas County found a skull the next day, about a hundred yards downhill from the rest of the bones. The family dentist used the teeth in the skull to identify the remains. Hewitt's remains were located northeast of the trailer. Just like Sterling and Madruga, the searchers found three wool forest service blankets and a two-cell flashlight lying by the side of the road less than a mile northwest of the trailer. The flashlights were slightly rusted and had been turned off. It was impossible to tell just how long it had been there. They found no sign of Gary Matthews. His tennis shoes were inside the Forest Service trailer. This suggested to investigators that he might have taken them off so as to put on wires leather shoes particularly since wire had bigger feet and math 
results determined that they had likely died from exposure. It appeared that Ted had lived 8 to 13 weeks after his disappearance, based on the length of his beard and around 100 pound weight loss. He weighed just 120 pounds at the time of his death. Several bed sheets in a shroud were tightly ducked over his body, indicating that someone else had been with him in the trailer, because he could not have bundled himself up in this manner. His leather shoes were off and missing. A table by the bed held his nickel ring with dead engraved on it, his gold necklace, his wallet with cash inside, and a gold watch that the family say had not belonged to any of the five men. Ted's feet were also badly frostbitten, and inside the trailer, the authorities found heavy clothing, matches, playing cards, books, wooden furniture, and other materials, which could have easily been used to start a fire. But there had been no apparent attempt to start a fire, despite the freezing temperatures on the mountain. A propane tank was disconnected to the trailer, which could have provided a steady source of heat and cooking fuel. Yet, it was untouched. According to Yuba County Police Lieutenant Lance Ayers, quote, All they had to do was turn that gas on, and they'd have had gas to the trailer and heat, unquote. In a storage shed outside, there was a year's supply of sea rations. These were canned, pre-cooked, and prepared meals issued to members of the U.S. military, usually for use on the battlefield or other isolated areas. The men consumed 36 of the meals, but left the majority of them untouched. In addition, there was a huge supply of freeze-dried meals. One of the sea ration cans had been opened with a U.S. Army can opener. According to John Thompson, a special agent from the California Department of Justice, who had joined the investigation, the whole thing was, quote, bizarre with no explanation, and a thousand leads. Every day, you've got a thousand leads. Unquote. Jack Madruga's mother believes, quote, there was some force that made them go up there. They wouldn't have fled off in the wood like a bunch of quail. We know good and well that somebody made them do it. We can't visualize someone getting the upper hand on those five 
seen it and didn't even realize they seen it. Unquote. Some people believe that the man simply got lost, took a wrong turn, and ended up in the mountains, just too confused and disoriented to return. But how realistic is that explanation? Chico to Yuba City is a straight drive along Highway 70 through the Central Valley with no snow at that time of year. A drive of approximately one hour. Yet, the car was found very far above the snow line in a completely different direction. Why did they abandon the trip to Yuba? Were they forced to go there by someone? Did they decide to take a detour? Or did they just take a wrong turn? Did someone think they knew a shortcut and get them lost instead? Why was the group's car left unlocked? Especially with gas in the tank and in good working order. Did he forget to lock up? Did they somehow leave the car and lose the keys? This could explain the strange story told by Joseph Skyons, where he said he saw flashlights around the car. Could they have been searching in the snow and then rattled by his yelling for help? How did the group end up around a trailer far away from the car? Dead wire was found in the trailer, but Madruga, Sterling, and Hewitt were found in the locality, but several miles away. How did they walk in normal shoes without outdoor clothing in snow that was several feet thick? Was the group together and then decided to separate after Ted's death? try and find help. Why did Ted evidently starve to death? Some of the rations in the trailer were eaten, but most of it was untouched. Ted apparently had a slow and painful death from starvation, losing over half of his body weight. So, why wasn't he eating? with so much food nearby. This is a question that has led some family members to think they were abducted by someone for some unknown reason. There are so many questions, but no answers. And because of that, we are now at the end of our story. So, listeners, what do you think happened? What a crazy, chilling, horrible way to die. Were the men victims of an abduction? Did somebody have a psychotic break and somehow force the others to go along? 
you have any thoughts. If you do, you can email them to whisperedtruestories at gmail.com. But take care to type that as all one word. There are no hyphens, dashes, or underscores. On a future episode, I will share the thoughts and comments that have been sent regarding the stories that have been featured on the podcast so far. If you don't want your name used, or if you would like me to use an alias for you, just let me know. And listeners, if you have any suggestions for possible cases or topics, please feel free to email them to me. I really want to hear any ideas that you may have. Also, in addition to email, you can follow and comment on Twitter at the handle at WhisperedDrew. Once again, one word, at WhisperedDrew. Finally, if you like the podcast, including the concept of the podcast, you can help out the show by going on iTunes, also known as Apple Podcasts, and rate, review, and subscribe. Hopefully, there will be a new episode every two weeks. Well, that's my target. And hey, I'm starting to get on track. Keep your fingers crossed, and maybe I'll even stay on track. (laughs) And listeners, with all of that having been said, this episode has now reached the end. So, until next time, my name is Kit, and I will leave you now with this 